Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. Your I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro. With Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope all of you are having a great weekend so far. An incredible first day of the second round of the playoffs, which we expected. There's so many good players and good teams left at this point that it's just 
bound to give us amazing basketball content. And yes, it did. We are going to start today with the Warriors and the Grizzlies. After that, we're going to do a deep dive into the Bucks and Celtics game. Lots and lots to get to. Before we get started, a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Make sure that you like this video and subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. Make sure you check out our newsletter. A link to subscribe is in the description. It is a great way to keep up with all of our content. Also, make sure you check out the Colin Cowherd podcast. He's got a surprise winner for this year's NFL draft. You're going to want to hear that. And then, of course, this is the place to get all of your Draymond Green content. I've been saying on my Twitter feed that Draymond Green and his reactions inside of a playoff series as someone who's as intimately involved as a player can be is some of the best content in sports right now. He will be reacting to game one in the next 24 hours. You won't want to miss that. And then lastly, make sure you follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. Every morning I get up and I break down the films from uh, the film from the games uh, in the previous day. And I get into some of the weeds and some of the details that are impossible to get to in these instant reaction videos. So make sure you follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT and subscribe to the podcast as well. All right, let's start with the Warriors. So I want to start with the, <laughs> before we actually get to the get the nuts and bolts of the basketball, I have two refereeing uh, or officiating related things that I want to hit on, starting with this, the Draymond suspension, which was obviously uh, the, the big story from this specific game. Uh, I at first couldn't tell what had happened and the clips that were being circulated around that I had seen up close a million times were the jersey pull. And in general, like I'm the kind of guy that when I uh, am talking about officiating, particularly when it comes to ejections, I want to see absolute like the unquestionable, you can't leave this guy in the game type of stuff. And so at first when I was like, okay, he's pulling his jersey down. Yeah, it's a little bit dangerous. Uh, you could argue he's actually trying to kind of gather Brandon Clark and and help him fall type of deal, right? Like it, to me, what didn't seem as dirty. So I was it, like amazed at the fact that they would ever even consider suspending him for something as trivial as that. But then I saw the other angles and I saw the swing down hitting uh, hitting Brandon Clark on the face. And I, I mean, we could really make it this simple. There's a very specific reason why players are discouraged from hitting each other in the face in the game. And it's to, it's because they don't want to get ejected that we, we have to have a line somewhere. And in this case, the line is like, if you load up and you hit a guy in the face and it's not a real basketball play, then yeah, you got to eject the guy and love Draymond Green, love everything he brings to the Warriors. But to me, that was a pretty cut and dry ejection. And obviously, Draymond Green's going to have some fun with the crowd in that type of moment. You know what was interesting is that ejection changed the entire complexion of the game in a bunch of ways that are going to be difficult to translate forward in the series because Draymond's going to play a lot. But there was a kind of a brand of basketball that Golden State played after Draymond went out that was very unique, and we will get to that in a minute. One last thing with the, the refs, that block charge call on Steph Curry. So Steph drives into the lane, and he's got four fouls, and Dylan Brooks has five fouls. And Dylan Brooks kind of like stops in the lane and slides a little bit over to the left, and you can see Steph try to go around Dylan Brooks's left shoulder, but at the end, he kind of slides over. Now, <clears throat> what the refs were saying was his left foot was planted, but if you looked at it, 
his feet were planted in a very spread stance, and it's almost giving him too much leeway of position for him to be there. And I, I was blown away that after reviewing that play and seeing all the angles that they opted to give Steph that fifth foul, and he ended up actually fouling out at the end of the game, which is which is a, a, a predicament in, of in its own in its own sense. But what my issue with that specific call is. I don't think it's good for the game of basketball to have bodies and and people just falling down in the lane. Like, there's a reason why when you guys go play pickup with your friends, if, if you you don't go take a charge because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have people driving into the lane and falling down. In fact, what do you guys do in pickup when someone drives into you? You kind of just hold your ground. You're more likely to even like. To, to instead of flopping backwards, you'll just hold your ground because you don't want to get hurt. To me, that is real basketball. And the, the, the bodies falling down on the ground, that's how guys break their wrists or sprain their wrists. That's how guys, you know, sprain their ankles as they come landing down on people. It just turns into a really dangerous environment. And so for me, I'm a big fan with officiating of like, if it's a blatant charge, like if it's as cut and dry as it could possibly be, go ahead and call a charge because you got to give defenders some capability of stopping bigger, stronger athletes flying into the lane. But if it's a gray area at all, let it go. Let them play basketball. Call a blocking foul every time so that guys are less willing to slide up underneath athletes as they're flying through the lane. How bad would it have been if Steph Curry got hurt on that play? That would have been terrible for this series, terrible for the television product, terrible for the NBA and the health of the league to lose Steph Curry in a situation like that. The best way to avoid those kinds of risks is to limit the advantage gained from flopping all over the place underneath the basket. The easiest way to do that is to call a lot fewer charges, but I am off of my referee soapbox. Let's get into the game a little bit. So Obviously, there was a, th- down the stretch of that game. We're going to get into the the uh, the lineups that Golden State was using and why I thought they had so much success here in a minute. But down, I want to talk about crunch time here at first. So <clears throat> obviously, you have this stretch where Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson play really well, keeps Golden State in the game. Well, Steph hits a monster three with about four minutes left, or uh, right around four or five minutes left, and John Morant came back with this incredible sequence where. <clears throat> where he drives to the basket and gets this like acrobatic up and under layup in transition. Then he runs back on defense and reads a rotation from Clay Thompson. Steph makes a beautiful skip pass to the corner to Clay Thompson. And Ja like closes out like he's going to close at Clay, but instead of closing at Clay, he closed to the passing lane. So he closed to the spot next to Clay. Clay turned and made the swing pass to the next shooter and hit Ja right in the hands. And then Ja drives right down the floor and immediately kind of navigates into the lane and hits Brandon Clark for a layup under the rim, and now we're tied. It was an unbelievable sequence from John Moran on both ends of the floor. He's he's a bad defensive player at this point in his career, but he shows these flashes with his athleticism where he can make defensive plays, and that's a great foundation to build on as he gets uh, as he gets older and more experienced to become a more impactful defensive player. There was a play uh, uh, kind of late in the game, t- tied, where John Morant got Jordan Poole on an island at the top of the key. It was right around, uh, right around uh, uh, two, two minutes left. And one of, we, one of the things we talked about before this series was we know for a fact that Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Jordan Poole are going to struggle to guard John Morant in space. That's just that he's too fast and he's too skilled, and it's just a bad matchup for them. Steph and Clay for for uh, Clay is very good at guarding bigger, more physical wings. 
Steph is a very good defensive player for the set of physical tools that he has, but there's very few players on the planet that can hope to contain John Morant in dribble drive situations. So you have to crowd him in those situations. And I thought it was really, really interesting the difference in their defense on that play when Jordan Poole blew, or when uh, uh, John Morant blew right by Jordan Poole and got the layup for the and one. But there was a pivotal play late in the game after Clay Thompson made the three to give Golden State the lead, where the exact same thing happened on the left wing, where John Morant got Steph Curry on an island. But instead of leaving him on the island, Golden State sent quicker help before Ja got even close to the rim. He ended up going into a ton of traffic and missing a layup. And that's the difference. You can give up a matchup to a guy like Ja as long as there's tons of backside help. Where you get in trouble is when everyone stands around and gets glued up to their man. And now Ja has a head of steam because he goes right by Jordan Poole. And when you give an athlete like that, that much of a head of steam, there's just no way you're going to stop him around the basket. But Golden State made the adjustment and ended up getting the all-important stop at the end of the game against John Morant. This was not the play after the jump ball, but the one before where John Morant missed the layup over uh, over Steph going to the left. Then I was really curious uh, when they were setting up for the inbounds play. I was they had Desmond Bain as the as the inbounder, and I was. I was hoping for Memphis's sake that they would run something because they had uh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. as the first player right by the inbounder with Jordan Poole on him. So I was thinking they were just going to inbound to Jordan Poole or or inbound to Jaron Jackson and do a quick handoff to Desmond Bain for a jump shot because I thought they could get a clean look from that. Instead, they had John Morant start out at half court and they did the exact same thing. But instead of looking to Bain, they looked to John Morant with a head of steam. The problem is, is that's the play you see coming a mile away. This is why we talked about this on the play where Andrew Wiggins uh, and Otto Porter Jr. botched that post entry, that like lob over the top on that late inbounds play against Denver and all the Warriors fans were mad at Steve Kerr. There's a reason why you use your stars as decoys in a lot of situations in those uh, in those settings, especially when they're shorter players. And it's because the defense keys in on them and it's difficult for them to create their own shot in that situation. John Morant went flying into a ton of traffic and had to take this impossible left-handed scoop shot off of the glass. Don't don't play. Golden State knew that was coming. They were set up to guard John Morant in the paint. There was only three seconds left, so you knew that as soon as Ja put the ball on the floor, he wasn't going to have time to make a kick out to a shooter. I would have gone to one of your taller players, someone like Jaron Jackson Jr., someone like Desmond Bain, to try to get a catch-and-shoot opportunity because I think you could have gotten a better look in that situation. But just an incredibly interesting in an incredibly exciting game. I thought what what allowed Golden State to to stay so successful in the second half without Draymond is the very thing that I've talked about so much on this show over the course of the last five years, or over the course of the last two years, and that's five-out basketball. They uh, To start the second half, you know, Steph hit a bunch of threes to kind of keep him in it. It was a lot of Kevon Looney, right? But then they took Kevon Looney out, and they brought in Otto Porter Jr. They brought in... Uh, uh, Gary Payton, and they brought in um, Jonathan Kaminga as your front court. So basically, they went with two freak athletes and another 6'8 guy, all three of which are very good at the dirty work things. Otto Porter Jr. has been a masterful rebounder for Golden State in, over the course of this playoff run. It's been a huge weapon for them to make up for some of their lack of size. Well, they just went with those three guys 
and Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole. And the offense with Draymond Green works. So I'm not trying to talk about that. It's just a different type of offense. The di- the difference when Draymond's on the floor is he gets ignored a lot of the time. And what ends up happening is Stephen Clay will hit Draymond when he's open and then immediately cut off of him. Because Draymond is like, instead of catching and shooting, they look at Draymond as basically an available dribble handoff. So they'll throw the ball to Draymond Green at the top of the key, and then they'll fly off of him, and Draymond will do a quick handoff. They're almost just, they're, they're, they just use him as a release valve to get the ball back. It's not like a spot up roll for Draymond by any stretch of the imagination. That's why he doesn't take a ton of spot up threes, right? Well, that's a completely different style of offense than when they have all five players as guys that are a little bit more of an offensive threat. And so as a result, uh, um, uh, Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson at the end of the third quarter and beginning of the fourth quarter were given a boatload of space to operate and both of them put on masterful performances in that second half. The the so the super interesting thing about the way that they attack those two guys in particular when they're on the floor together is it's kind of like they build off of each other's advantages. So what will happen is, is like Jordan Poole will bring the ball up the floor. And he'll be being guarded, uh, you, you know, by someone like Desmond Bain, right? And he'll uh, bring over John Morant's man to come over and set a screen, whoever that is, whether that's Clay Thompson or Gary Payton Jr. or whoever it is. So uh, Clay, uh, Gary Payton Jr. will come set the screen, and Jordan Poole will come off of that screen, and John Morant does not want to switch because Memphis is trying to hide John Morant as much as possible in this series. So as a result, Jordan Poole will get into the lane a little bit. They'll get into about like that 10, 15 foot area with a live dribble and the defense collapses on it, right? But Jordan Poole doesn't force anything. He'll kick it out to the perimeter again to Clay Thompson. Now someone's closing out at Clay Thompson. Now Clay Thompson has an advantage. Clay Thompson will usually like pump fake and get the guy off his feet and then put the ball on the floor. Now he's got even more separation than Jordan Poole did in his first attack. And then either they'll score on that action or it'll get worked around again to Jordan Poole. By this time, the defense has rotated and collapsed like three times, and they're getting fantastic looks out of it. Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson and their ability to further compromise the defense with each time they attack a closeout off of that first action is what keeps that thing moving so smoothly and how they kept getting such good shots, especially when they go in that five out setting. So the trick is, is like, how can you realistically apply that forward in this series with Draymond on the floor? Well, you try to play heavily into that style when Draymond's off. What I would do is I would almost, Draymond talked a lot on his show about how he likes playing with Kevon Looney because Kevon Looney plays a more traditional backline defensive role. And then Draymond can really roam around and be disruptive elsewhere on the floor. Maybe that's your opportunity to play, play Looney. And then in the minutes when Draymond's off the floor, you go back into that Kaminga, Otto Porter Jr., and Gary Payton Jr. front court because then you have that super freak mobility with all of the shooting on the floor. And that's when you're getting... Uh, all that five out stuff that you can get. I think there's a way for them to utilize that type of offense, even with Draymond in there. Because you're better with Draymond. You're flat out better with Draymond because he makes you way, 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 way better on the defensive end of the floor. And you can still thrive on offense because of all the chemistry that he has with Steph and Clay hunting them as three-point shooters. So that was the, the most interesting dynamic of this particular game was the way that the offense looked when Draymond was out. So moving on to Memphis really quick. The uh, you could tell 
And the, the, you, this was evident evidenced in points in the paint. In points in the paint, Golden State dominated in this game. And a huge part of that was, like I was saying, getting in the defense and rotation. But you were seeing a lot of opportunities for guys like Jonathan Kaminga on the back line. Guys like Gary Payton Jr. on the back line. Otto Porter Jr. on the back line. That's where they were getting offensive rebound putbacks. That's where they were getting cuts to the basket for layups. There, were, there was a huge play at the end of the game where Steph Curry was working on the left side of the floor. And they completely lost Andrew Wiggins on the back side as a cutter and he ended up getting a layup that tied the game. Having that speed and savvy on the back line was giving lots of, uh, give, uh, generating lots of quality stuff for Golden State. A couple things that were really interesting for Memphis that are concerning if you're a Memphis fan. Jaron Jackson Jr. shot the lights out. He made six threes. John Morant made four threes. I've talked a lot about how I think John Morant is going to project forward as a good shooter as he gets older, but right now he's pretty inconsistent. For you to lose a game at home with Jaron Jackson Jr. giving you six threes, there was a sequence there in the second half where the dude was flat out gunning off the catch early in the shot clock as the trailing big man and knocking down like 26, 27 foot threes. That's, that's tough to replicate. And, we, and, and as you saw, when the Warriors had their defense set, they did a good job of containing John Morant in dribble drive scenarios. Where they struggled is when they weren't set and when they got too lazy off the ball and gave John Morant opportunities against weaker defenders on an island. But that'll be an interesting thing moving forward is how well can John Morant shoot? How well can Jaron Jackson Jr. shoot? Because they're not getting great stuff in the paint. You saw that in the points in the paint battle tonight. Looking forward in this series, it's just going to be curious to see. I talked a lot about how Memphis's physical advantages will be what carries them as the, uh, as the series progresses. In the first half, the Warriors actually out-offensive rebounded um, uh, Memphis. They had 10 and Memphis had 8. In the second half, Memphis started to wear them out on the offensive glass a little bit. We all know how that goes. When the team has the physical advantages, you can make up for it with effort to a certain extent, but the longer the games go, the longer the series go, that's when those advantages become problematic. And there are simple physical mismatch type of uh, 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 matchups out there that are just going to be difficult to deal with the entire series. There was a play late in the game, an inbounds play, baseline out of bounds, Clay Thompson is guarding Brandon Clark. That's a huge mismatch. Well, guess what they did? They ran Desmond Bain out to the perimeter, made it look like Brandon Clark was going to set a screen for him to get out there. And then Brandon Clark just kind of rolled around to the front of the rim and they just threw it up to Brandon Clark right over the front of the rim. Clay Thompson had absolutely no, no chance there because Brandon Clark is just bigger and taller and more athletic. And they got an easy layup out of that in crunch time, you know, when, when Golden State's really dialed in defensively. So those are going to be Memphis's greatest advantage as, this, as the series progresses. They're never going to outskill Golden State. Golden State's backcourt is the most skilled backcourt in the entire NBA. They have no chance there, but they can win physical matchups with Golden State. That's going to be the curious part as we move forward in this series is how well can Memphis inflict those things on Golden State over the course of the series. I'm still leaning Golden State. I just still think it's going to be a long series. I could see this one going six or seven games easily. All right, before we move on to Bucks and Celtics, I want to show you guys a promo about some other content we have here at The Volume. Hi, it's Colin Coward. I started The Volume to bring you some of the most authentic voices in sports. While you're here, make sure... Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats... 
That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N U T. R-A-F-O-L dot com, promo code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. You hit subscribe. Thanks. All right, let's move on to Bucks and Celtics. So this is a series that I've been incredibly excited for, obviously, for a lot of different reasons. And it was a really, really strange game one. And in the playoffs, game one is always the strangest game. There is so much 
that goes into, you know, there's a game plan that both teams have when they come into the game. And there's it's always very different from the game plan they end up having as the series progresses. You also can have things like one team coming in more confident or more comfortable. And to the Bucks' credit in this game, you could tell from the opening tip that they were a lot more confident and comfortable going into Boston than Brooklyn was. And that played out in a bunch of different areas of the game. Obviously, and we predicted this before the series, we thought that Milwaukee would be more capable of handling Boston's physicality. And we knew that that was a weakness of Brooklyn's because they played so many thin and non-physical players. But at the same time, we had some very specific data and signs that told us that Boston's defense would make Milwaukee struggle. And that's why I had the pick that I had. We're going to get further into that as we go along today. But I want to start with the Bucks defense because there were <clears> – <throat> I thought that Boston's offensive struggles – in their inability to consistently make the right reads against Milwaukee's defense was what led to the transition onslaught that compromised Boston's defense, which is the strength of their team. Obviously, we can't see the final metrics until they update on NBA.com, but I would imagine that in the half court, Boston's defensive rating looks excellent. But they got destroyed in transition. They gave up a 28 to 8 fast break point advantage to Milwaukee. They gave up a 27 to 6 points off of turnovers advantage. That's where this game was won, was in the helter skelter up and down. How do transition possessions begin? Turnovers in bad shots, typically long jump shots that miss off of the rim or a dude that gets all the way to the rim and misses a layup. A missed layup is always one of the the most common plays to cause a transition possession because it usually involves a perimeter player driving to the basket and missing a shot around the rim while everyone else is running the other way. It's like an instantaneous advantage. We knew coming into this series that Milwaukee's defense, I believe they were 12th in the regular season. It was either 12th or 13th. I can't remember exactly, but that's a middle-of-the-pack defense. But we also knew that when we dove into the numbers, they were amazing at protecting the paint, and they were amazing with their defensive rebounding. The reason why is all season long, they tried to primarily play Giannis at the four, either alongside Bobby Portis or towards the end of the season with Brooke Lopez, and the entire concept of their defense was own the painted area at the expense of everything on the back end. Like we talked about, Milwaukee led the league in giving up wide-open threes this season, defender at least six feet away, which is exactly why their defensive metrics were nowhere near as good as the other teams around the league. And I thought one of the biggest reasons why most of the Boston offensive players. Tatum, I thought, had a pretty good game, very similar to his games against Brooklyn. He's he's absorbing the most defensive attention. He has the most difficult job, but he still did a lot to create offense for his team. It was the Marcus Smarts and the Jalen Browns and the Derek Whites, the other guys that had the ball in their hand on the perimeter making decisions that really, really struggled against Milwaukee's defense. And even Tatum did at stretches, but it all had to do with like playing right into Milwaukee's defensive strengths. Think about how many times today you saw, you know, uh, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum test Brooke Lopez or Giannis Antetokounmpo at the rim. 
even though you knew that was a low percentage play, and it's literally the way that Milwaukee's defense is set up. If you play into their strengths around the basket, then Milwaukee becomes an elite defensive team rather than an average defensive team. There were two plays in particular that I wanted to kind of use to demonstrate what I'm talking about. So there was a play in the second half where Jason Tatum uses a ball screen at the top of the key. I believe it was Al Horford setting it, but I can't remember exactly. But uh, Brook Lopez was the big man up at the screen. He was defending the screen. And because Tatum is so good off the dribble with his jump shot, Brook had to come up high. So Brook is you know up around the three-point line, and Tatum easily splits. But Giannis is on the floor. And you know that the next step in Milwaukee's rotation is Giannis is going to come over and protect the rim. And there was a wide-open shooter in the left corner. And Giannis and, or Tatum instead decided to test Giannis. And Giannis blocked it. All series, or all series long, as often as Boston attempts to challenge sitting shot blockers at the rim, they're going to struggle. That's just the nature of the way this defense works. In this game today, the uh, Celtics were 10 for 34 from two-point range. That's 20 points on 34 possessions, or 0.58 points per attempt. Every time they attempted to score in the painted area, it went poorly for them. They attempted 53-point shots, and that seems like a lot, right? And they didn't even shoot particularly well. I believe they only made 18. But the difference is, is when you make 18 threes on 50 attempts, that comes out to 54 points on 50 shots, which comes out to 1.08 points per possession. So they were scoring twice as many points on their three-point attempts per shot than they were on stuff in the paint. Now, people will say, Jason, does that mean that you're just supposed to take threes all game long? No, it just, those are, that's the way you, every possession is about making a read on that specific possession. When Jason Tatum gets to the rim off of a split with Brooke Lopez, it's not his job to score just because he feels like it's time for him to score. No, you make the read. And the read was Giannis came over to help. There was a wide open shooter in the weak side corner. You have to make that read every time. There was a play, a second play in the second half that I wanted to use to demonstrate this. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had a really bad offensive night. So what do you do when you're having a bad offensive night? You kind of try to continue to force the action. You try to make something happen to get your rhythm going, to get your confidence going, to get it into to score, to hopefully get the lid off the rim so that you feel better about yourself and suddenly everything starts to click a little better. So I get that. That's why players try to force when they're struggling. But there was a play. I believe he was, uh, I believe he was working against uh, Pat Connaughton, but I can't remember exactly who he was guarding in isolation. But Grant Williams was sitting on his left side in the corner completely unguarded, and Bobby Portis was ignoring Grant Williams and coming over and straight-up double-teaming Jalen Brown at one point. Didn't even look at Grant Williams. Then uh, uh, after, after that, Portis kind of stunts back out for a second, and Brown goes to work. As soon as he puts the ball on the floor, Portis comes over and doubles again. And Grant Williams is standing wide open on the wing again, and he just didn't look at him. And instead, he worked into the lane, he pump-faked, he ended up losing a shot attempt. He ended up losing a shot attempt and kicking it out. And I think Peyton Pritchard had to do a last second heave right before the end of the shot clock. But again, it's like you don't do what you think you're supposed to do because you haven't scored in a while or because you're trying to build your rhythm. Every possession, you play basketball. You make reads. If the defense is taking away the paint, you have to consistently kick out to three-point shooters and trust the results. Even if you miss 
two or three in a row, you know over the course of the game on your shot quality, you're going to score. The Celtics did not shoot well tonight, and they still got 1.08 points per every three-point shot they took. So then what you'll see, if you consistently make those reads and you consistently kick out, your three-point shots will go up early in the game, but what will happen is it starts to lead to an outcome on the scoreboard where Milwaukee's giving up too many points. Suddenly, they'll be a little less willing to double, a little less willing to rotate back to the paint. That's when your opportunities are easier around the basket. You look at the point, uh, or the shot dispersion tonight, you're taking 53s and 34 twos. If you do those reads exactly like I'm saying, it may result in the same split. It might be 53s again, and it might be 34 twos. But the difference is more of the threes might be earlier in the game, and the paint will be open later in the game. Now your shooting percentages go up because the quality of all of those shots are better. Instead of taking 34 bad twos and 50 iffy threes, you're taking 34 good twos and 50 good threes. And then your shot quality goes up, your percentages go up, and that's when you start to see it manifest on the scoreboard. But all of those dynamics, that dynamic of Boston perpetually driving into the, the teeth of Milwaukee's defense and having no success, that led to Marcus Smart having a rough night. That led to Jalen Brown having a rough night. That led to a lot of guys feeling uncomfortable and, and, and out of rhythm offensively. So what happens on the other end? Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis, they feel very comfortable because they're playing the same style of basketball that they always play. Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday had 40 points on 32 shots compared to uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart having 22 points on 24 shots. If you were ranking the players in this game, you're probably naming at least four Milwaukee Bucks before you get to a second Celtic, if not more. That's the dynamic that happened there. A bunch of Celtics players played poorly because they were getting out of rhythm offensively. And then on the other end of the floor, Milwaukee was getting fantastic looks in transition because of the struggle that Boston was having. Looking at Boston on defense, I actually thought they defended really well. They made Giannis struggle. He was 9 for 25 from the field. A lot of people were saying like, oh, Giannis had a poor shooting night. That's by design. Guys, like, uh, and again, Giannis played a great game for the record. We're going to talk about Giannis's all-around impact here in a minute. I didn't, a couple of things that people need to understand about when I'm making these picks. I didn't say that I thought, you know, uh, Giannis was going to struggle because I dislike Giannis. I thought Giannis was going to struggle because I think Kevin Durant was the best player in the league. I, that's what I thought before the series, but he's no worse than a top three player in the league, and he really struggled. So that's a credit. Boston's defense has been the best defense in the league all season. They've been by far the best defense in the league in the last half of the season. There's a reason why I thought Giannis would struggle the way that he did, and he did. To Giannis's credit, he did a lot of things that I talked about. Succeeding in transition and around the rim, you know, because he thrives in the physicality. And the biggest area where Giannis, and this is something that KD really struggled with in the last round, Giannis had 12 assists tonight. Some of that was his teammates shooting the ball really well. Milwaukee shot really well while the game was still in question early on. But Giannis was consistently willing to make the right reads to make Boston pay for their overaggression. I thought Milwaukee did some really smart stuff. They would have um, Grayson Allen always one pass away so that when the double teams came in in the helter-skelter, when all the bodies were coming at Giannis, he always had this easy kick out to Grayson. And one of the nice things with Grayson is he's not only a confident three-point shooter, but he's confident further out. Like 
it's the NBA three point line is you know right around that 23, 24 feet, right? But the the Grayson would is comfortable out to like 27 feet. So it's like a release valve where you can kick to him and he's comfortable knocking down these deep three point shots. A lot of like really smart stuff from Milwaukee to make it so that Giannis the double teams resulting were resulting in quality shots on the other end. But again, I thought I thought shot making was a huge part of this. Look at the look at all of the times Drew Holiday in this game scored over contests. So I, I'm excited to get into the film on this tomorrow. But one of the things that really hurt Boston is they didn't have anybody. If you look at their shot chart, if you look at Boston's shot chart, it's all threes and then misses in the painted area. They didn't have anybody that was like comfortable operating out of the mid-range. And Drew Holiday in particular was getting all these little pop shots and floaters and, and pull-up twos and things in the mid-range that he was making. It was like it was where Milwaukee was getting a lot of their offense in the half court in particular. A ton of credit to him. Bobby Portis was able to attack Jalen Brown in the post and get good shots almost every time. That's a that's a matchup thing that you can't lose if you're Boston. You can't have your second best player lose a matchup head-to-head -head on both ends of the floor to like the fifth best player on Milwaukee. That's going to be a problem for Boston. Those are little areas where they that there's not really much scheming you can talk about. It's just they have to be better. Jalen Brown has to be better at making shots in isolation situations than Bobby Portis is. If that dynamic goes the other way, that's going to be a problem. But I wanted to give some credit to overall to the championship poise of Milwaukee because in all the things that I just discussed with Boston really struggling with their decision making and just being smart basketball players they got out of whack they didn't even really resemble themselves right that's that's the lack of experience and the lack of confidence to handle that type of situation Milwaukee they came in like we're you know we know exactly who we are we know what this environment's going to be like. We don't care how physical it is. We've been trailing 2-0 in a series before, just like they did last year against Phoenix. They've been they were down 2-0 against Brooklyn. Like like Milwaukee's just not scared of anything. And they came in like champs and they were confident all night long, and as a result, they threw a very good first punch. And Boston's first punch in the series was one of their worst punches. That's an example of inexperience, and that's something that they'll have to figure out. When I'm looking at uh, Boston looking for... Uh, and then one last note there with Giannis. Again, just the difference between him and KD right now and the reason why I have to put Giannis ahead of KD now is he's demonstrating for us in this series that even though he's shooting poorly, just like KD did, even though he's turning the ball over a lot, just like KD did, he had five, I think he had at least five turnovers tonight again. Like he's having all the same struggles that KD did, just like we predicted he would in this series, but he's impacting winning monstrously as a rim protector on defense, and as a playmaker on offense. And just those two things were a massive swing factor in this game. And that's the reason why I valued those skills so much over the years. And it's a massive credit to Giannis. And those are the leaps that he's made as a player that have made him the best player in the world. Not a jump shot, not a turnaround nifty post-up, not a one-legged fadeaway, not him knocking down threes. It's that stuff. Defending like crazy, like a defensive player of the year, and playmaking when defenses send you tons of attention. Those are the things that end up determining uh, these outcomes. A couple of quick notes before we move on. Uh, for those of people, people who want to take victory laps, because I, I was very high on Boston. I said I thought they were the best defense of this era. I picked them to win the series in five games. First of all, wasn't that crazy of a take? 
Boston was a minus 200 favorite in Vegas before before the series. Like they were the better team from everybody who was paying attention up until this point. Okay, like it's not exactly a shock. It would at if you picked Milwaukee to win the series, you were picking an upset. If you happen to be right, that's awesome. I will absolutely acknowledge that if we get to that point, but there's a lot of evidence to back up the claims that I was making. I said Boston was the best defense of this era. They literally were the number one defense in the league for the entire regular season. Ever since January 23rd, they were five points better per 100 possession than everybody in the entire league on the defensive end of the floor. They took Katie and Kyrie, who averaged 123 points per 100 possessions on offense in the regular season, and brought that down to 113. They held them 10 points below their regular season average. We have tons of evidence of how great this Boston defense is, and they were excellent again tonight in the half court. So Boston played poorly. They're, they're, Milwaukee clearly demonstrated some things that are going to be interesting as the series progresses, but I'm still picking Boston. I never overreact to game ones. I literally watched, I've seen so many, all of you guys have seen so many examples over the years of a team going on the road in game one and having an impressive win, and then the better team taking control. No different than when the Celtics won in Milwaukee with Kyrie a couple years ago and then got swept the rest of the way. It's the better team is Boston. They've demonstrated that over an extensive stretch. If Milwaukee wins this series, it will be an example of the fact that we or that the evidence that we saw over the course of the last six months was was inaccurate compared to what Milwaukee's playoff ceiling was. And if that happens, we react at that point. But I'm never going to react after game one. Guys, if Milwaukee sweeps Boston, I'm not going to sit here and go down with the ship. I will happily admit that I was wrong about something. We're just not there yet. If we get there, we'll confront it at that point. And then last note, looking forward in this series with Boston. Again, it's just role players have to play better. Marcus Martin and Jalen Brown have to be able to at least compete as shot makers and decision makers with Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis. You can't get beaten in those matchups. Their half-court defense was excellent. We will take a closer look at that tomorrow in some film. Um, but they got killed in transition. So they need to execute better on offense so that they don't get killed in transition. And then one uh, adjustment for Milwaukee with Giannis. I thought Giannis was a little bit, uh, he did some great playmaking, but he also was a little bit of a gunner and took some shots in traffic that he probably shouldn't have. I think Milwaukee, uh, uh, it's similar to the way Tatum is just kind of taking attention and trying to make plays for his teammates. I'd like to see Giannis tone back a little bit on some of the shots in traffic. Because those, I think, in a better punch from Boston, that kind of dynamic could get you beat. You're getting easy looks when you're passing out of that. That needs to be Giannis's approach moving forward. Super excited to see the rest of the series. Again, I'm still sticking with Boston, but this makes it complicated. I picked Boston in five. The trick is, is I think Milwaukee gets one of game three or four on their home floor. So now that suddenly pushes it to six. Game six is in Milwaukee. That's going to be a game where now with them having home court, that could be a game that Milwaukee's probably going to be favored in, right? So I'm still leaning Boston, but this probably means it's going to be a longer series and could very well go seven. Hi, it's Colin Coward. I started the volume to bring you some of the most authentic voices in sports. While you're here, make sure you hit subscribe. Thanks. One last note on the Celtics, they did update the NBA.com numbers, and the Celtics only gave up 100 points per 100 possessions today, which is a great number. And when you look at 
how successful Milwaukee was in transition. We laid those numbers out 28 to 8 in fast break point advantages, you know, 26 to 7 in points off of turnovers. My guess is tomorrow when I go look into cleaning the glass and see the stats that Boston's half court defense against Milwaukee was phenomenal. That is a good thing that they can move forward with in this series. A cha- a good way to, because now they have to win four of the next six games, right? And a good way to do that is to be able to get stops in the half court because you can limit your mistakes with better decision-making in the half court, avoiding turnovers, better shot selection to avoid those runouts. That is a positive sign if you're Boston looking forward. Before we move on, because we're going to talk a little bit about this Joel Embiid news, I wanted to hit our housekeeping notes one more time. Make sure you like this video and subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. Check out our newsletter. There is a link to subscribe to it in the description of this video. It's a great way to keep up with all of our content and see what's coming on the horizon. Also, make sure you check out our boss man, Colin Cowherd's podcast. He's got a surprising winner for this year's NFL draft and Draymond Green. All This is the place to get Draymond Green content. It's the best content in sports right now. You're getting instant reactions from a player that's in the trenches in this playoff series. I think it's such incredible content. He will be reacting to game one of this series in the next 24 hours. You won't want to miss that. And then last but not least, do not forget to follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Every morning, I wake up and I watch the film from the previous night and I do breakdowns and I give you video examples of all the things that I'm talking about so you can kind of see the actual basketball stuff that 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 you can actually see how I reach these conclusions and I do those breakdowns each morning. So follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. All right, so let's move on to this Joel Embiid news. So we did a full-length YouTube breakdown of this series that you can find on our uh, uh, volume uh, uh, YouTube channel right now just by scrolling down. And so if you want to see all of the details in the weeds, that's the play to go. The thing that was a throw-off for me in this particular series was how much is Embiid going to play? When the original Sham Sharani report came out, it was so like vague. It was like, we're shutting him down, but like... We don't know how long. Does this mean he's out for the season? Does this mean he's you know, going to come back in time for game one? Well, we got more information on that. He's going to miss at least games one and two in Miami. And that is, that's tough because when I, was, when I did my breakdown, I factored in Embiid available for all the games because I was like, I, I have no idea what to expect here. Might as well try to prep for the series as if uh, Joel is playing. And I had originally picked the Sixers in six games. And I did a bu- I had a bunch of reasons for that. Mainly, I think people are underestimating just how important it is to have great shooting off of Joel Embiid. And one of the huge swing factors in that Toronto Raptors series was Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, and Danny Green and George's Niang. Those four guys just being deadly in spot-up roles. Those four guys were 11 for 23 from three in the closeout game in Toronto. And so what's happening is even though Embiid is struggling with the double teams at first, even though he's just making like that quick swing pass out to the perimeter, they're working it around in really good, frankly, overqualified players for the roles that they're being asked to fill are capitalizing off of all that attention. And so I thought that specifically 
uh, uh, Philly's ability to capitalize on that defensive tension was going to give them their best chance to win this series. Miami, there's a lot of like PJ Tucker in there. There's a lot of like Bam Adebayo, guys that you don't necessarily have to guard out at the three-point line that can really affect their spacing. The core lineup for Philly, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Danny Green, and uh, Tobias Harris, there's nobody in that group that you can leave wide open. They will burn you consistently. And so that's the the, the dynamic in that series that 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 I liked a lot. But with Joel Embiid out, it gets tricky. We just talked about this with the Celtics. You know, the home court thing plays a significant role. A lot of times why you pick an underdog in game six is because they steal a game on the road and then they win a home game in game six. As uh, If that dynamic gets thrown off by a, a win or a loss early on, I picked the Celtics in five because I thought they'd win games one and two. Then I thought they'd lose one of the two games in Milwaukee and then take a 3-1 lead home to Boston where it'd be extremely difficult to lose a closeout game in front of your home crowd. But losing game one now puts you in a weird predicament where to have a closeout opportunity at home, you either have to win both games in Milwaukee or you have to close them out in game seven where anything can happen. That's the dynamic of home court advantage in a playoff series and how tricky that can get. So for the Sixers, like you're going to Miami without Joel Embiid, you're probably going to lose both of those games. So now you're down two games to none. There's a lot of pressure on you at home to hold home court. If you lose one of those games, now you're down 3-1 going back to Miami in a closeout game. So it gets really tricky for me to continue saying Sixers and six when when Joel Embiid's going to miss the first two games. And what's so funny about that is like, let's back up in time really quick to 2018 and Chris Paul and James Harden are at the top of the basketball world practically with an opportunity to beat the Warriors and have a chance to win an NBA championship. Chris Paul pulls his hamstring. They lose. Then in 2019, they have a disappointing loss to the Warriors where Kevin Durant goes down and they still lose in six games, right? Well, after that, we have a falling out between James Harden and Chris Paul. He ships Chris Paul off. He thinks he's not good enough to be a teammate of his. Opts for Russell Westbrook instead. Not the first guy to, or not the last guy, I should say, to make that mistake. Well, what's super interesting about this is now we fast forward to 2022. Chris Paul is the old guy. Chris Paul is the one that's at an age disadvantage here with all the mileage. Okay. Devin Booker goes down with a hamstring injury in game two. What did I tell you guys on the show? I said, Chris Paul will win this series without Devin Booker. He is playing some of the best basketball of of his career. All he has to do is float the ship long enough for Devin Booker to get back. Then they'll have the chance. Do any of you think that James Harden can go into Miami and steal a game? He might. And if he does, again, I'll be the first guy to come up here and give him props. But if I said said Philly was going to steal a game in Miami over the course of the next three days, what do you think would be the driving force behind that? I would say the most likely outcome there is Tyrese Maxey goes off. And Tyrese Maxey has like a 38-point night where he just torches everybody in transition flying up and down the floor. Like Your confidence factor in James Harden and his ability to steal one of these games, to buy Joel Embiid the opportunity to get right and get back out on the court, on the court your confidence factor in James Harden is extraordinarily low, right? Whereas Chris Paul, you're like, yeah, he's probably going to do it. And even above and beyond that, game six, Chris Paul has one of the greatest playoff performances of all time and goes 14 for 14 from the field, staving off that game seven where anything can happen. It's just an unbelievably ironic turn of events 
to where Chris Paul is like definitively a better basketball player than James Harden right now at his age, which is completely ridiculous, a far more dependable playoff player, just a bizarre turn of events. And honestly, like it kind of, <laughs> I hate revisionist history, but it kind of, we have to look back at that 2018 Rockets run as a little bit more of a Chris Paul thing. Not that James Harden wasn't amazing at that time because he was, but Chris Paul and what he brought to the table complimented James Harden so well and covered so many of his flaws. Hopefully one day James Harden appreciates that because that was a, that was a significant ally that he had in his corner that he turned away. You know, for a lot of different reasons, but I would argue it had a lot to do with the fact that Chris Paul is that type of dead serious competitor that James Harden cannot be from time to time, and that causes problems. As far as a pick for this series, it's so difficult to tell. There's no guarantee that James, that Joel Embiid's going to come back in Game 3. To me, losing those first two games of Joel Embiid just puts them too far behind the eight ball. It's just too difficult to expect them to win the games that they would need to win without him and have a chance to win the series. So now, with the news that Joel Embiid is out for the first two games of the series, I'm actually going to go back to uh, picking Miami to win the series. Going down 2-0 is just it's it's just an incredibly difficult uh, hole to dig yourself out of. So I'm going to go with Miami really quickly before we get out of here tonight. I just want to talk for a quick second about Luca and the Suns. Again, we did a full we did a full breakdown of this on the YouTube uh, channel, so you could scroll down and you could see it there. This series, to me, there's two dynamics that I think are going to swing uh, that are going to be the the key swing factors. So for Dallas on offense, it's going to be how frequently can Luca get Chris Paul and Devin Booker on an island? Because he is one of the best big body mismatch attackers that we have in the league because of his ability. He's kind of like Jokic in the sense that he's so good at using body positioning on smaller defenders to kind of pin them in places where they don't affect him shooting. And he has all these arsenals, uh, this like deep arsenal of mid-range jump shots that are turning around over both shoulders to like push shots and floaters and things around that 10-foot line that make him so incredibly difficult to guard. And this is not a, like a this is not going to be like a, a team that has a ton of length and athleticism on the floor at all times. Phoenix will regularly have guys like Devin Booker, Chris Paul, campaign on the floor where you have opportunities for Luca to attack. How willing is Phoenix to give up those switches? Because they're going to have Mikhail Bridges guard Luca the entire game. If they can find a way to navigate all those screens with Mikhail Bridges so that he doesn't get off a of Luca that often, that could be a big swing factor for Phoenix. And then on the other end of the floor. It's the opposite of the Utah Jazz dynamic. Dallas was able to have a lot of success switching against Utah because when they'd switch, Rudy Gobert could not make them pay. Rudy Gobert is not capable of it. He's one of the worst, <laughs> like as far as guys who are highly paid, he's one of the worst like interior scorers in the league as a, as a big man. That's 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 difficult to deal with in a switching scheme because you're going to put a guy like Jalen Brunson onto Rudy Gobert and back him into the paint, and he's holding his arm up, calling for the ball. No, no one even wants to give it to him. Well, that's not the case with DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton have this amazing chemistry to where when they get those switches, which Dallas is going to do a lot of switching in those scenarios. My guess is they'll drop in specific scenarios, but they'll do a lot of switching. In those switch scenarios, Chris Paul is just going to pull the ball back out and he's going to dump it into DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton's great at doing a quick seal and then turning over his left shoulder with a right-handed hook and he makes it about half the time, which is a really good way to go attacking switches. That's a dominant card to have in your hand in that type of situation. This is going to be a really interesting series. Again, if you guys want to see more detail 
in a breakdown of this series, scroll down on our YouTube page. My my head tells me that Phoenix is going to dominate, that they're going to win quickly. But I just can't. I, my, I said the same thing about the Clippers series as the last two years because they had so much more talent than Dallas. And Luka, because he's one of the greatest basketball players we have in the league right now, just found a way through his greatness to drag that series out attacking matchups. He strangles the pace of a game in a way that disrupts the rhythm. The only other player I've seen in the league that does it to this extent is LeBron. But there's this dynamic when Luka's really in a flow that reminds me of when LeBron was in a flow. And LeBron still has this to a certain extent, but especially when he was in his prime where everyone else on the floor especially on the uh, the other team everybody on the other team is out of rhythm and their confidence dips because you just can feel that Luka slash LeBron just has like a stranglehold over the game and Luka has just done that too many times in his career for me to sit up here and say he, that the Suns are going to get him out of here quickly they very well might and if they do that'll be what all the evidence was pointing towards Phoenix is the better team but I, 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 I think that Dallas is going to find a way to drag this out. So I'm going Phoenix in a long, a long series. The, the interesting, the opportunity for Dallas to steal this series is early. Devin Booker is not at 100% yet. You saw that a little bit. He made two massive shots down the stretch of that Pelicans game. A one dribble pull up to his right, like a contested pull up two, and then a spot up three in the left corner. And those were massive shots. But... They were not leaning on Devin Booker as like a high intensity shot creator in those settings. It kind of looked a lot more like James Harden last year in the playoffs in Brooklyn, where he's kind of like a decoy, consuming defensive attention in a spot up role, trying to make plays off the bounce with his passing rather than shooting a lot because he had that hamstring issue. That's kind of like what Devin Booker looked like. Chances are he's not going to be close to 100% in the first few games of the series. That's your chance when you're Dallas. If you can somehow get this to a 3-1, steal a game in Phoenix, control home court when Devin Booker's limited, and somehow that buys you that that buys you margin for error to try to steal a game later in the series when Devin Booker's closer to 100% and he gets cooking and the Suns get back to their full 100% confidence on offense. That's going to be their op- uh, opportunity. Dallas needs to get an early lead in the series. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Don't forget to check out my Twitter feed tomorrow morning for some breakdowns of these uh, of today's games. We will be back tomorrow night after the final buzzer or the final game of the night for a normal live show like usual. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 
Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything, even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility.